0: Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And maybe we remember that we are reading God's word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Uh, we're taking a break from our series in First Peter. If you've been uh, kind of tracking with us, we're going through the book of First Peter, and, and we'll, that will take us to Christmas. But today, uh, I wanted to take a break from that. Next week, we'll, we'll pick up kind of right where we left off. We'll actually be looking at marriage next week in First Peter 3, looking at like, what God says to men and to women about marriage. So you want to be here. It should be hopefully a helpful time. Um, but what I wanted to do today is just share some stuff that's in my heart. And And there's times... When when God is just sort of stirring something inside me, and a lot of times I I get a chance to just kind of communicate it through sermons and other stuff we do, and there's other times when it's just like you know I just want to pause and 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 go there and talk about it. And since I have the freedom to do that, here we are. So so here's what I want to talk about. Um, and let me let me sort of set it up this way a bit. Is we're in a season right now, and it's perhaps been true. Uh, in a lot of different cultures and a lot of different cultural moments. But we're at a a point in our culture right now where the culture champions moderation. Uh, We don't like, whether it's politically or religiously or ideologically, we don't like extremes. We like moderation. We like balance. We like centrism, right? Like if people are going to communicate where they stand on an issue, they'll always paint like, here's one extreme, here's the other extreme, but I'm in the center. Right, and that's, how, that's how people communicate, and we love moderation. We don't like extreme-type uh, thinking or extreme people or extremism. It just feels uncomfortable. We, we use words in our culture like those people are zealots or fundamentalists or rigid, inflexible, bigoted, hateful. If someone's extreme, they're thought of in those terms. And we, we like things more in moderation. Makes me think of when I was in junior high school, was a seventh grader and, and my family went to church and I considered myself to be a Christian though I didn't have any kind of new heart or, or really desire to follow Christ all the time. It was just kind of when it was convenient but, but I went to church here and there and went to youth group occasionally when the topic was interesting and I remember when I was in seventh grade there was one night where the topic at youth group was dating and relationships. I was there. I was interested in that. And so they, uh, I, I don't know, I didn't know the youth pastor well. I don't know exactly what, what he was doing or why he did what he did. But, but he set up a panel and specifically talking about dating and talking about the physical aspect of a dating relationship and, and trying to answer the question, how far is too far and what's allowable and all those sorts of things. Very interesting when you're 13, by the way. And, uh, and so I went to that and I remember this one particular guy shared that the first time he was going to kiss his wife was on their wedding day. That he believed that because the Bible said that you shouldn't arouse or awaken love until it so desires, he believed that since the Bible says that uh, younger men should treat younger women with with absolute respect as sisters in total purity, that that meant that they shouldn't do that until they were married. And, And I thought that is extreme i don't think i like that idea very much i didn't have the words to say but but what if if i had the words what i would have said was you know i am into this christianity thing but in moderation that's too extreme and we're in a culture right now that that looks at biblical christianity and says that's too extreme We, we need religious moderation we need christian moderation What's the problem with that? You might go, yeah, that, that sounds right. We, we, our, our world's filled with problems because of all these extreme people. What's the problem with religious moderation? Well, to get that answer, I want to turn to A.C. Grayling. He's an atheist, a humanist philosopher, and he writes this about the problem, or he says this. Actually, I listened to this in a debate about religion. Here's what he said. He said, people say, what's wrong with moderate religion? Those nice folks who go to church on Sundays and take part in their neighborhoods, And here's the problem with that. Again, this is an atheist arguing that that there's a problem with religious moderation. He says, here's the problem with that. Moderate religion is religion where people do a little bit of cherry picking. They take the best bits of the religion, and some of the more embarrassing or difficult or awkward bits, they leave to one side. I find very few Christians actually live the New Testament morality. Unkind people would call that hypocrisy. And in the debate, everyone laughs because they know he's calling it hypocrisy. He's just doing it in veiled terms. At the other end of the scale, however, are those who take their religion extremely seriously. The extremists, we call them. The point about the extremists is that they are the most honest of the people who have a religious view because they commit themselves to what their tradition tells them. And they stay closest to the text. There you have an atheist saying the problem with religious moderation is it's hypocrisy. If you want to know what, what's the real thing, you have to go to people who are more extreme. And so here's the call today. Here's the challenge today. And it comes from Jesus and it comes from my heart. I'm calling us today to become Christian extremists. We're, we're being called today to get extreme our relationship with Jesus. Now, you may go, well, what does that mean? And and you'll get a sense of what I mean and what I don't mean. I'm I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about blowing anything up. I'm not talking about converting people with the sword. I'm not talking about going to an abortion clinic and killing anyone. I'm not talking about any of those things the way our culture would think of extremism. What I'm talking about is, is a call to Christian extremism, the kind of extremism that Jesus talked about. And if you want to see extremism, Christian extremism, you got to look at Jesus. And so let's go back to Mark chapter 12. We read this already. Jesus gives an unbelievably extreme statement. Nothing moderate about this, nothing balanced about this. This is extreme. A man comes to him, a scribe comes to him and says, what's the most important command? If I don't do anything else, what should I do, Jesus? And Jesus replies, verse 29 of Mark 12, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I don't know if you can find more extreme words than to say love God with everything, right? That's what he's saying, heart, soul, mind, strength. It means love God with all your everything and your neighbor as yourself. What want for your neighbor, what would you want done for you? And, And then live that way. That's extreme. And the call today is to become... Christian in the extreme. So here's what we're going to do. I, I, my outline for this, if you want to kind of track along and take notes, is basically this. It just follows this passage Be extreme in your devotion to God and be extreme in your love for insiders and outsiders. That's what the call is here today. First, be extreme in your devotion. To God. Uh, devotion is, I think, a helpful word because we hear the word love so much that it sometimes loses its punch. The word devotion, though, it means love, loyalty, enthusiasm. Be devoted to God. That's the mark of someone who loves God with everything. They, they love God, there's an affection for Him, and there's loyalty to Him, right? They they're not looking elsewhere, they're, they're devoted to Him. And there's enthusiasm. And that enthusiasm expresses itself differently in different personalities, but when you're devoted to something, there's always a level of enthusiasm. It's not drudgery. It's not pain. It's, it's you're enthusiastic about it. And the call here from Jesus is to be devoted this way to God, to be loving, loyal, and enthusiastic about God. You go, okay, that sounds interesting. Well, what would that look like? How would we demonstrate that kind of, that kind of devotion? Well, I've got three ways that I think we would demonstrate that devotion. And there's more. You could definitely think of more. It's not an exhaustive list. But here's the first way that we're called to express our devotion to God. The first is to be, loyalty, be have loyalty to Jesus as our only hope. Loyalty to Jesus as our only hope means we're not looking elsewhere in terms of our salvation we're not looking elsewhere to find our hope it's an exclusive idea jesus is the only way that's extreme jesus himself said that in john chapter 14 jesus says i'm the way and the truth and the life No one can come to God except through me. And Peter, whose book we've been studying, says this in Acts chapter four. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They were trying to get Peter to be quiet and hey, tone it down a little bit and you're getting a little extreme and we're getting a little nervous. And he goes, I can't. There's no other name. It's the only way. Be extreme in your loyalty to Jesus as your only hope. Now, some of you will hear that, and you will think, gosh, that just sounds really narrow. And are you saying, therefore, that all the Muslims in the world are wrong, and all the Jews are wrong, and all the Buddhists are wrong, and all the garden-variety pagans are wrong? And you're saying everybody's wrong, but you, your, yours is the way. You have it all figured out. You, go, Gosh, that just feels feels narrow you know some of you may say that just I, I don't feel okay with that i i think every religion is equally valid i think anybody should should insist that their way of viewing god is right now if you feel like that let me let me just push back on you a bit so you just push back on me let me push back on you here's what you're saying you're saying i have a particular view of god that's different from the Bible's view of God Christianity is this very particular view of God it's only through Jesus that you can know God but but what you're saying is you have a particular view of God now your particular view of God is actually broader right? your view of God is that he doesn't care what you believe But, but what you're doing is you're insisting that everyone else adopt your view of God which is the very thing you're saying no Christian should do you get that? It's inconsistent on its own terms. If you say, well, every religion is equally valid, well, that's your view. And it's just as narrow as the view that says Jesus is the only way. The question is, what view is true? And what view will actually lead you to love and serve those who oppose it? The answer is Jesus. But I'm not just calling us to be devoted to Jesus in in a doctrinal way or who would say, yes, I agree that Jesus is the other way. I'm talking about that functionally. See, there are many of us who would say, yes, I believe that there's no other way to be saved except Jesus, and I believe that Jesus is my hope. But functionally, we don't live that way. The scripture says that God is a a refuge, an ever-present help in trouble, meaning that that on a moment-by-moment basis, when we feel trouble, when we feel stress, when we feel anxiety, when we feel worry, when we need help, we go somewhere. We, We go to a refuge. And if you find yourself going to any refuge but Jesus, then functionally, you're not loyal to him. So you may say, yes, Jesus is the only way, but functionally, when the heat is on... Many of us, we turn to food, we turn to shopping, or we turn to internet, or we turn to TV or alcohol or nicotine or relationships, right? Some of the things we turn to are are clearly bad. Some are fine, but all of them are awful substitutes for Jesus, And so the call to be loyal to God is the call to devote yourself to him fully, functionally, moment by moment. There's another way we demonstrate this kind of devotion to God, and it's through our enthusiasm for time with him. Any relationship that's valuable to you, you want to spend time with. And and you're enthusiastic about spending time. If if you're you're married and and you're happy and you're pursuing that happy relationship, you you want to spend time together. If you pursue this with your kids, you want to do that. And you don't always have as much time as you want, but you always want to. It's the same thing with God. Our our devotion to him should be enthusiastic about time with him, about reading the scripture, about prayer, about prayer. Where even when it doesn't happen, it's like, oh, I wanted to. Not, not a, oh, I should, or oh, I have to, but, but that you want to. So you've got to have this kind of personal time with God if you're ever going to love him with all your everything. You have to. Here's a, a quote. My relationship with God really flourished when I stopped reading the Bible and praying, said no one ever. Never. These words have never been spoken. A lot of people have said, my my relationship with God crumbled when I stopped reading the Bible and praying. And my relationship with God revived when I started reading the Bible and praying. But no one's ever said that. This isn't rocket science. It's it's obvious. You want to grow in love for God? Spend time with Him. Read the Bible. Pray. Talk to Him. I love the story from Willow Creek Community Church. They're a big, influential church in Chicago, and they wanted to do all this research about what are the things that are catalytic that help people grow spiritually. And so they sent out all these surveys, and they hired this a secular research firm to try to help them unpack all these things. And, and they, they study all these people, all these different factors. And, and finally, the results come in, and I can just picture you know being in that boardroom as the, the pastors of this church are, are ready to hear, what? is the thing that helps people grow? Is it really great worship services? Is it it cool music and lights? Is it is it video? Is it you know marketing? What, what is what's the thing that really helps? And the secular research people come back after doing all this research, and they say there's, there's a lot of different things that help people grow at different stages. But, but the one thing that's consistent at every stage, whether someone's brand new and interested and kind of seeking to find out more about God, or they really love him, there's one thing that consistently helps people grow across every continuum. People need to read their Bible. And you can just imagine the pastors going how much money did we spend on this on this thing right and 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 the secular researchers are like emphatic going i i heard some people tell the story like they're going you've got to get people to read the bible they're like we know there's a reason it's not about checking off that you read the bible or you got through it in a year great whatever It's about being devoted to God, obeying this extreme command to love him with everything. It also is demonstrated this way, our devotion to God, is by trusting God with our most precious possessions. Trusting him with our most precious possessions, our kids, our job, our money, the things that we go, this is really what life's about, this is is important, trust God with that stuff. Jesus said something unbelievably extreme in Matthew chapter 10. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You hear what he's saying? I mean, how much do you love your kids? A lot. You should. We should all probably love our kids more. He says, if we love them more than him... We can't be his disciple. And then he goes on and he says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. A cross is an instrument of death. Jesus is saying, If you're not willing to die to yourself, to die to all the things that you tend to think are most important, you can't be my disciple. That's extreme. So it means we trust God when the circumstances of life threaten our work, when the circumstances of life make it where our kids are, are struggling. We, we trust him. It doesn't mean we, we disengage. It just means we trust him in the midst of it. It also means we trust him with our money, with our resources, with our time. Jesus said this, all, another extreme idea, Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also your heart always follows your treasure. You invest in something, you give to something, your heart follows it. And what this is saying is this is saying have the kind of trust in God with your possessions and with your money and with your income and with your investments where you say, God, I trust you enough to believe that you could do more with with 90% than 100. You can do more with that because I trust you. It's that kind of faith, that kind of extreme devotion to God. But Jesus doesn't just say be extreme in your love for God. He says there's another side to this coin, and it's extreme in your love for your neighbor. We're saying it this way. Be extreme in your love for insiders and outsiders. Insiders are those who we know, those who are like us, those who believe like we do, those who we have a relationship with. Outsiders are everyone else people we don't know, people that don't necessarily believe like us, people that are are new, people that are marginalized. Jesus is calling us to be extreme in our love of outsiders. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a couple things. The first is it looks like ownership. When you talk about a love for insiders, it's ownership. It's it's saying we're family here. As insiders, God's called us to love one another as ourselves. We're we're family. I think about families, good families, right? Some of you come from bad families, and and what I'm about to say, you go, that's not how it was for me. But in a good family, you got each other's backs. We we tell our daughters all the time, you guys are best friends, and you always will be. Because that's what family is. In a family, you you own one another's challenges. You own one another's problems. You celebrate one another's victories because you're family. And so the call to love our neighbor as ourself is a call to be family. And and when you're a family, there's heart work to do and there's hands work to do. There's heart work in a family. In a family, you don't just care about kind of the schedule, but you care about how people are doing. You ask questions, how'd that make you feel? You, you pray, you care, you listen, you support, you encourage. All of that's hard work and that's all of what it is to be a, a church, to be a church family. But in a family, there's also hands work. There's stuff to get done, there's chores, there's stuff to accomplish, there's, there's, there's things to do. Same thing for us as a church family, there's stuff to do and so God is growing our family here. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we continue to grow. Every January, every uh, Easter, every August, we just kind of keep growing and some steady stuff along the way, and our family keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, there's something you find on the refrigerator of every big family. We've talked about this before. You always find a list of chores, right? Because in a big family, the assumption is someone else will do it. And so you put a list. And you go, here's what I'm responsible for. Here's what the family can count on me to do. And our call, our invitation to you as, as you seek to obey Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself is, is for sure to do the heart work but also to do the hands work. The call is to get your name on the fridge. Have some responsibility. Maybe it's an area of gifting and passion. Maybe it's an area of service and sacrifice. But some name on the fridge moment where you say to the rest of our community here, you can count on me for this. That's what we do if we're family. You love the guys that are out in the parking lot every week managing all that chaos that you experience as you come in and they're out there. Well, it's a, been a pretty limited team. Uh, no one wants to do that job in the summer much, right? Um, and, and actually, one of our guys just got a job transfer to Colorado, just, just moved away. Um, he actually, as a parting gift, gave me a, a sweatband. He said I should probably start wearing that when I preach. <laughs> but but that's, that's, a, that's a job, that's a chore that the family needs to do, right? I don't know of any, I don't know of any spiritual gifts test that says... My spiritual gift is working in the parking lot. Like, I don't know anyone that's going to go, the most fulfilling thing in my life is directing traffic. But we're a family, and it needs to get done. So we need people to step up in those environments. You may look at all the things that happen and go, there's no need for me. I'm not needed here. But listen, if you're here, if, if this is your church, if this is your family, get your name on the fridge. If you've been here for months, if you've been here for a year, join in. Pitch in. we got some stuff for you to do, and you'll grow as a result. I was talking with, with one of our, our volunteer leaders, and he was saying, the thing for me is it's not even about that we, need that we need all this help. It's that this is how people grow. This is how he's grown. We don't want you to miss out on that. So extreme in our love for insiders is demonstrated by being family, but extreme in our love for outsiders means that we're a family expecting guests. And, and so I, I want to talk to you about the, the simplest strategy for sharing your faith that there is. The, the simplest strategy for investing the kingdom of God into, into people who don't yet know him, into outsiders. It's, it's this. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. Some of us just feel like, man, when it comes to telling someone about my faith, I just get nervous and I and i have it in my head and i know the answers but it just doesn't come out right and i always feel weird and it's scary and and others are like i don't have any problem with that well good for them but for the rest of us this is a strategy invest and invite invest build a real relationship with people who are outside of our church. Not, not just to convert them, not to have a notch in your belt, but because you're obeying Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you like it when someone loves you just to use you for something? I don't see any hands, right? So, so not that, I'm not talking that, but I'm talking real Christ-like service and love. And then as that relationship builds and the opportunity is right, uh, invite them into whatever the most appropriate environment is. Help them to, to rub up against other Christians and to see that you're not the only weirdo that loves Jesus like this, that there's lots of us. And, and invite them into that. Maybe that's here on a Sunday, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's having them over for dinner. Maybe it's having them join your redemption community for a night. Maybe it's inviting them to the chili cook-off. One of my favorite stories, an uh, old friend of mine told about this, this lady, they, this hairdresser that his wife uh, always went to, and they'd been inviting her to church stuff for years and years and years. And, and one year they finally invited her, or they'd been inviting her, and one, one, one time she finally said, okay, I'll come. And the, the study that night was on Acts 5 and Ananias and Sapphira, which is the story where God strikes these people dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And so my bill is leading the group, and he's like, "Maybe I should change. The, maybe we should study something else. Like this is, doesn't seem very seeker friendly." And they're like, "Well, let's just let's just go with it." And so they they're doing the study and they're talking through the thing. And towards the end, the lady's not saying anything, and Bill's going, "Oh, what's she thinking?" How's it, you know? Towards the end, he he turns. He says, "So, what do you what do you think of all this?" And she says, I just can't believe you guys get together every week and love each other like this. That's, that's invest and invite. See, because you may not be the most articulate person, you may not be the most gifted person in this, but there's other people who are. right? So, so you, you bring them in, and you sick Dave Lopez on them. <laughs> right? And you sick Wade and Mandy Lewis, and you sick Joni Stockton, and you sick some of these people on them, and it's like, They're coming to Jesus. Like, they aren't going to have a choice after a while because these people are gifted to do that. So, that's how we love one another invest and invite and I'm, I'm so excited to, to share with you some of the things we've learned we, we in the last month or so we did a survey we surveyed everyone who's a regular and everyone who's a guest and we got back some really interesting information related to this related to how we love one another and outsiders and and some very cool stuff to share one one thing that really excited me um, was of the people who attend here regularly almost 20 percent said that that before attending gateway they did not previously attend church anywhere Almost twenty percent. So some of you, right? You you came from another church, or you moved from out of town, and you found this, and and that's great. We love that you're here; that's wonderful. But, but, but no, there are people here that this is their first time around, kicking the tires on Christianity. That's awesome. We found out from that that twelve percent of people who attend here regularly said that they put their trust in Jesus for the first time since they've attended here. Is that awesome? And that, and that happens in a service, that happens in a small group, that happens on their own. That hap- I mean, that hap- but it happens through us, us holding up Jesus together and saying, let's go follow him. It's incredible. About 75% of you said that you'd participated at some point in a redemption community small group. About 56% have served in some capacity. And then here's my favorite one. This was the one that excited me the most, is 78% of our regular attenders invited someone in the last year who does not attend church anywhere else. So this isn't like, oh, you go to Mission? Oh, you go to Rock Point? Oh, you go to Portico? Well, you should try out Gateway. That's fine. I mean, but, but that's kind of just swapping sheep around, Right? Right? And, and we're not here to steal sheep but we do grow green grass and so that happens <laughs> okay that happens uh, but, but, but to go almost 80% of you have relationships with people that don't go here and you invited them and even if they said no they'll say yes sometime and, and, and 35% over a third of you invited three or more people in the last year it's incredible It's no wonder that God continues to grow those numbers, and that God continues to bring people, and that people continue to get saved and have their lives changed. That's not a surprise. And it actually leads us to to, to do something in in response to that, and and in preparation for that. And so I want to announce to you uh, right now that we are going to begin a third service uh, beginning in January. And, uh, and that's exciting for us. It it's represents an opportunity to, to continue the work that God has done. As I said, every January, it seems like God always brings new people. And so w- we've kind of looked at things and gone, based on the attendance in both of our services, a- and specifically the attendance of kids in our classrooms, right? like, like look around, there's a little bit, of, there's, there's some room. This room could fill up a little bit more. There isn't room in there. And so if God brought people in January, we'd have to turn them away. And we're not willing to do that. And so we're going to move January 13th. We're giving you lots of advance notice. We're going to do three services back to back to back, 9, 10:30, and noon. And this is going to be an important step for us. We're going to try these times, see if they work. If they don't, we'll try something else. But this is where we're going to go. And I'm excited about it because of this. It gives all of us the opportunity to step up and step out. Step up, right? We're talking about get your name on the fridge. There's a whole other service that's going to need people uh, to work in the parking lot and to greet and to hand out programs and to do communion and to serve kids, all that stuff. So step up, get your name on the fridge, and we'll have lots of opportunities in the coming months for you to respond and for you to do that. And and then others of you, and maybe some some of you are going to do both, but is to step out, to step out of this service time. And, and have lunch and then come to church at noon. <laughs> and, and to do that so that we can create some open seats and open classroom space at these prime inviting hours so that people who are far from God can hear the gospel, can get plugged into a community where we love our neighbors, ourselves, where we're devoted to God. That's how, over time, the world has changed. So that's what we're going to do. I'm excited about that step. But th- there is an area we need to also address, something we need to grow in. Uh, I, I hear a lot how friendly we are, and I think that's wonderful. I mean, we get, we get that feedback a lot. Boy, this is such a friendly place. I think you wouldn't invite people here like you do if you thought it wasn't a very friendly place. Um, but we have room to grow. And so I want to share with you a, a story. Uh, last week, uh, a guy named Corey Bullock, he's one of the pastors at Central Christian and they're planting a a campus in Awatuki, and he's leading that team and so he came with his team to church last week and they came to the nine o'clock service and he came up after and said hi, and he's a guy I know and hey, good to see you and and had a great time, whatever. Well, he sent me this email on Monday. He said, hey Luke, uh, thanks for the service this past Sunday. I love to visit other churches and I was encouraged by what you guys are doing out there. With that said, I thought you would want to know because I would want to know. But after having a great worship experience, I took my team back out to our van. We were parked all the way down the strip with no one around when we parked. I was a little crooked and probably took up two spots. When I got back to the van, there was a note attached that said, nice parking job. You think you're the only ones attending church today? It completely deflated the worship experience for me. Of course, I love Jesus and what you guys are doing, but if I was a non-believing guest at your church and had an awesome experience but left with this, I wouldn't be back. I don't know who left that note. I'm glad it got left to him and not a non-believing guest. I don't know, maybe it was someone in our office park here who has a bone to pick. Maybe it was someone new, I don't know. But But if that was someone from within the family... That's not okay. We, we, can't go, we can't do that. And so if that's you, I, I, w- I would love for you to have the courage to privately to, to talk to me. You can call me, you can email me, you can grab me sometime and say, hey, I'm sorry it was me. But, but you, have, you have some repenting to do before God, and you have some apologizing to do to Corey and his team. Because that does not re- represent what Jesus says here. And we all have bad days, and we all have moments where we lose it. And I'm sure there was even part of it that was well-intentioned. Like, I'm going to help make sure people park straight for the glory of God. <laughs> I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. But, but I, I think if you think that through a little bit more, you go, hard to see Jesus writing that note. So, so I want you to talk to me. But listen, I I don't want that to deflate all that there is to celebrate because God is doing a powerful work among us and God's doing incredible things and that story is the exception and not the rule. But if we're gonna move forward, if we're gonna be extreme in our devotion to God and our love for insiders and outsiders, then that can't work. Let, Let me finish with this. The question is, what makes this kind of extremism possible? Right, Jesus here is calling us to something unbelievably extreme. How is that possible, right? Because I don't know about you, but, but, but I don't love God with all my everything all the time, right? This is an impossibly high command, and I, and I hardly ever, it feels like, as I really think about it, love my neighbor as myself. So So, We don't do this naturally. This is not something that just more willpower is going to achieve. Where is this going to come from? And the answer to that question is it comes from the gospel. It comes from the good news about Jesus. See, the gospel creates the only kind of extremism that doesn't make you an extremist. Because here's what the gospel message is. Here's what it is. If if you're you're newer to Christianity or you want to get clear, here's the gospel. Human beings have been created by a perfect God. They've rebelled against him. Some boldly, some just with indifference. So God, I want to live my way, I want to do my thing. And as a result of that, we all deserve God's wrath. Our hearts are stony and cold when they should be warm and alive and and they're dead. And, And God rightly would squash us. But in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, he sends Jesus Christ, his son, his only son, to come and to live perfectly on our behalf, who perfectly and completely obeys, who is the person, the only person, who was fully and extremely devoted to God and his neighbor. And then Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies in our place as our substitute, and then raises from the dead to conquer death, and he promises he'll come back. That is the gospel message. And that gospel message is the only thing that can take a heart of stone and turn it into a pulsing, throbbing, living heart. Because what you see is that when you were at your worst, God intervened for you. And that's why I say the gospel is the only kind of extremism that keeps you from being an extremist. Right? All the extremists that we're against are people who, who filled up with pride are, are, are going to go make everyone try to be like them. But, but this gospel humbles us. It, it, it says, I'm not better than you. I'm probably worse. And as a result of what Jesus has done. At the heart of my faith is a man dying for his enemies. So I'll pour myself out to serve you. That's what this gospel creates. It creates people with a growing capacity to love and be devoted to God and to love people. Jesus said there's no other commandment greater than these. You can do a lot of things a lot of stuff that would be good and valuable and would help the world. But Jesus says, don't miss these. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to communicate your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for what you're doing here in our church. God, thank you that there are so many people who are devoted to you. Who, who love you and are loyal to you and are enthusiastic about following you. And, and God, thank you that, they, that, that, that so many here love one another, that our community is thick and the sacrifices made for each other are real. And there are people who, who don't yet know and love you, who we love, and we so want to see them experience the joy of Jesus. God, thank you that you're sending new people here. Thank you that people are professing faith in Christ here. And thank you that we're growing here, God. God, if there's anything we grow in, we want it to be that we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, that we would love our neighbors ourselves. Father, we ask that of you in Jesus' great and powerful name, amen. Amen.